0: Happy Easter. I'm going to say it again. He has risen. risen. Yeah, I like it. Easter, the day when I wear my tie. <laughs> yeah. I thought you'd like that. <laughs> but it is a special day. It's a unique day. This is a day that we wait for, and I've said this before. This is a day that makes Christmas and Good Friday what they are. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Good Friday is just another day when another man died on the cross, like thousands before, but he didn't stay there. He rose from the dead. God's giant stamp of approval has been done. We have a hope, and he has risen and forever is glorified in that. If Easter wasn't true, then Christmas is just another day when millions, billions of other babies have been born. But all of this points to how the Old Testament has all been fulfilled. But many would call Good Friday a tragedy. They would call that story a tragedy. And why? They think, think about it with me for a second here. Jesus, who has done absolutely nothing to deserve the punishment by what he has just gone through on the cross, has been killed. Think of all the hatred, the injustice, the deceits why would I call it a tragedy? Well, because when we look at the word tragedy, uh, one person defined it as a protagonist facing a dilemma that demands a choice. The the tragic hero makes a tragic choice that leads inevitably to catastrophic uh, catastrophe and suffering. You know, a good example of a tragedy is one that we look at in King Lear. If you've ever read King Lear, it's one of the most depressing things in the world. And in King Lear, the king takes his kingdom and he divides it up between his daughters. The two daughters get really sneaky and they try to charm their king father into getting a little bit more. But the third doesn't. And because she doesn't, she actually gets banished from the kingdom. Ultimately, the king sees that the only daughter who loves him is the one who he has just banished, but it's too late if you remember the story, as he weeps over the body of the one daughter who loved him. That's a tragedy. As he claims, proclaims in that, I might have saved her, now she's gone forever. See, Good Friday on its own looks like a tragedy, but the story doesn't end with death. There's a great hope The resurrection actually turns what could be a story of tragedy into a story of comedy. In the strictest sense of the word comedy, a comedy is not like ha ha funny funny, although there are those ha ha funny funny humorous comedies. But a comedy is actually a story that has a happy ending, unlike a tragedy. Easter makes things into a great story of happiness. Easter is hopeful because Jesus' death and resurrection brings hope for those who turn from their sin and trust him, and they are in turn called brothers and sisters and stand before God the Father just as Jesus does now. So this looks like the ending of a tragedy story. As we finished on Good Friday, Jesus is dead. He's been put into the ground, into a tomb. The The stone has been rolled Guards have been posted, a seal over it. The disciples think it's done. They're hiding for their lives. But when we look at this story, it doesn't end there. It begins, it's the beginning of an amazing hope. So John chapter 20 is where we're going to be, verses 1 to 18. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Follow along with me as I read that with you. And they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple, around Peter, and reached the tomb first. I don't. It's always funny. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw that the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, now lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, on one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we come to continue to worship you through the opening of your word. And God, we pray for all the other churches that are gathering here in London who are preaching your word, the full, gospel of Je- the full gospel. And God, I pray that you would use us for your glory here in London. And I think of Forest City Bible Church and Pastor David Driver, and I pray that you would give them wisdom as he continues to shepherd the flock there that you would use them, Lord, for your glory as they seek to be disciples who make disciples, that you would bless them as they seek to do that. And Lord, I pray for us, too, that we would be faithful disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And as we open your word together, may, we, may you be glorified and honored in that. Father, I can't do this on your own, so will you use this weak vessel for your glory? Use this sermon, Lord, to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. Verses 1 to 10, we see a bit of a running match to the tomb, which I always snicker every single time I read it, because I just don't understand why John had to make that note that, you know, he ran faster than Peter. But nonetheless, he does. But in verse 1, now on the first day of the week, it is now Sunday, Jesus was crucified, he was, sorry, arrested on Thursday, killed by crucifixion on Friday, he has been in the grave for three days, and interestingly, when you look at this, there's actually a shift from Judaism to Christianity, but when we gather to worship, the Lord's day is now the first day of the week, Sunday. And from this moment on, Christians would set this day aside to gather together to proclaim and remind each other of this very truth, the good news of Jesus Christ, that the grave, the tomb, is empty. We see that even in Acts 20, verse 7, where it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day. Or even in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, on the first day of every week. And here on this first day, Mary Magdalene goes to complete what wasn't able to be finished in that day of preparation because time was short to finish because of the Sabbath. And here is this woman that Jesus had driven out seven demons out of. And we see that in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. Is witnessing what the Bible has been pointing to this whole time that through death has now come life, and even though it looked as though darkness had overcome the light, the light has shined through. And John is building a case for one thing He is risen. See, when we looked at Good Friday, John was very adamant about one thing Jesus was very dead, not like fake dead really dead. And they really did put him into the grave. And they really did think, as we even see in chapter 20, the disciples thought he was dead. But now he's making another case. The tomb is empty. Back in this time, there's different types of classes of individuals. And reliable witnesses are important, right, when you're trying to build a case But here John is choosing to build his case upon a woman, which is interesting when you look at the historical context because you would never do that. Back then, women were kind of like the second class. They weren't even considered a reliable witness in courts. Not only in the Jewish culture, but even worse in Roman culture. But here John is using the witness of Mary, this dear friend of Jesus. And if you're going to build a case upon something you try and get the best of the best and I think John is trying to even prove another again and again this one point that he is risen and he is risen indeed and he saw that the stone had been taken away and Mary's response shows that Jesus's followers didn't come up with this fake resurrection story they didn't even think it was possible they thought that this was a tragedy they thought Good Friday was it and that was it, and that was done. And the last thing, Mary and the other woman that were there with her was expecting to find Jesus resurrected. When we look at the word resurrected within the Bible, we're not talking about a ghost. When the Bible talks about resurrected, it means one thing, bodily resurrection. Not a soul, not a spirit, not some sort of ghost thing, body. Jesus was dead now he's alive. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples. And, they, and, they, and she says, and they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And she and the other two disciples didn't know what was going on. They had assumed something back from Good Friday that Jesus is dead. So they were trying to com- contemplate and fix this. It was like a computer that is broken in their brain. They couldn't reconcile this fact. And so John and Peter, they both start running in verses 3 to 4. John overtakes Peter and gets there first, but John stops at the door and just simply looks in and starts to wonder what is going on. There's some hesitation there, but let's be careful here. Just like them, we need the Holy Spirit to help us understand what the whole Bible is talking about when it comes to what Jesus did and who he is. And as he looks in, he sees the linens of Jesus that he was wrapped in. But in verses 6 to 7, we see classic Peter. He doesn't stop. He just keeps running. And he runs in. And we get more detail as to what we see inside that empty tomb. Because we say it's an empty tomb, but it really wasn't. There's some key evidence within there. The cloths and the linens that, they, that Joseph and Nicodemus had wrapped Jesus in as they placed him in that tomb, or now gone. The face covering that was wrapped around Jesus' face was not just cast aside, but was neatly put there. Neatly folded. Everything is where it should be, except for one thing Jesus' body. There's more building of a case. Because Jesus' body wasn't stolen. If you're going to steal a body, you don't take time to unwrap it. If someone had taken Jesus' body, the linens wouldn't have been neatly folded and put in their place. They probably wouldn't have even been there. And a skeptic would think that Jesus just fainted and somehow recovered and kind of undid all of those things. But have you ever tried to get out of a straitjacket? I can't. Sometimes, as a parent, I take my kid's coat and I tie their, their arms. So they're running around like this, right? And they can't, they can't get out. They can't get out. And here, Jesus, the, the, the body is gone, the strips of clothing that are tied around him, and somehow, uh, has, he has somehow gone out of the tomb. He didn't faint, He didn't somehow miraculously make himself better in order to, like, he didn't just like, ooh, there we go. I just needed some rest, some sleep. Something miraculous is happening right here. The tomb is empty. The cloths are there. And then how in the world do you get out of a tomb after you've just been crucified? How do you roll away a stone that took multiple men to roll? if you've just been crucified or if you just kind of woke up and you were just fainted. And Jesus is bringing pieces of evidence to paint a picture that the tomb is not only empty, but that he has written. A first century Roman Jewish historian named Josephus had three of his friends taken down alive off of a cross. I don't know how lucky you get to have three friends crucified, but he had three friends that were crucified and he got them taken down. And two of them died despite all the medical attention because their bodies had been so weakened from the crucifixion. Jesus did die. The soldiers were witness of that, as we saw last on Friday. And John witnessed it. And Joseph, who took Jesus off the cross and carefully wrapped his limp dead body, knew that Jesus was dead. On Friday, John wanted us to see that Jesus died. On Sunday, John wants us to know he is resurrected. And what was the reaction to what they saw? John saw and believed in verse 8. Back, back in John two twenty two, 22, uh, Jesus says, When they, therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. The time has now come. And Peter leaves the tomb marveling at what he, what he didn't see. As Matthew 28, verse 6, boldly says, He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. They didn't understand, as verse 9 said, everything because of the scriptures had not been fully revealed to them. The disciples didn't expect a resurrection, and they didn't try to come up with a clever story to keep the belief system going. For them, Good Friday was the end. It was a tragedy. But their response to that in verse 10 is, they take what they see, and then they go home. We know that John has adopted Jesus' mother as his own. We see that back when Jesus was crucified on the cross a couple of weeks ago. As Jesus says to John, this is your mother, and to his mother, this is your son. So maybe John goes back to his home. He sits Mary down on their couch and tells what he has just seen. Maybe he goes to tell her all of that. And as Peter and John go back to their homes. Mary stays to weep at what she thinks is another tragedy built upon what has happened on Friday. Not only did her Lord die, but now the body is gone. Now I can't even go and mourn what has happened. And Mary weeps in verses 11 to 18. She stood weeping outside of the tomb. Weeping is like, not like a man cry, it's uncontrollable. You fall to your knees and your tears start flowing. And, Jesus and John is building a case based on the evidence to show one thing. He has risen. Verses 11 to 13, Mary stays weeping, looking, lingering in her grief, and she sees two angels dressed in white sitting at the foot and at the head of the bed where Jesus' body was, and they ask her, Why is she crying? And maybe you're thinking, Angels, that's kind of a dumb question to ask. Captain Obvious over here, right? She's upset that Jesus is dead and she can't finish the burial rites. I think the angels are pointing to something, though. In, in John 2, 19, and Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. In John 12, some Greeks were trying to seek out Jesus. And Jesus said to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So Mary replies to this question, but I think the angels are trying to get Mary to think about something. Jesus has said this over and over again with, this, with his time with his disciples, that this was about to happen. And Jesus, and Mary replies to that question that the angels ask, I don't know where they have laid him, meaning she still thinks Jesus is dead. The first time we see Jesus talking about this is in Matthew sixteen twenty-one, where he says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. The second time we see in Mark 9, 30, 31, which says, They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of man, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. You see another instance in Luke 18. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. But here she is, and she hasn't remembered all that Jesus has said. I think it's a pretty good reminder for you and I about who enables us to believe. That even the obvious can be seen without the, can't be seen without the work of the Holy Spirit. See, disbelief isn't a matter of having all the facts, but more about something that God does in our hearts, as Ephesians two says. And Mary had missed that Jesus intentionally came to Earth for this purpose to die for his people's sins. And Jesus gave his disciples predictions and prophecies about his death and the events that would follow. Why? So that when it does take place, you may believe, as John 14 says, but they still struggled with that. In verse 16, it said, it wasn't until Jesus spoke her name that Mary knew who the gardener really was. It's amazing, right? She's there, she's weeping in her mind, she can't even think that the man that is standing right before her was the very one she was weeping about. But with one word, just her name, Mary turns around in disbelief and says, "Rabboni, teacher." In John 10:3 thir- to 4, we see to him the gatekeeper opens the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out of all, of all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And Jesus calls to one of his sheep and Mary hears the voice of her Lord and responds to the good shepherd who laid down his life and taken it up again. I love how uh, the Gospel Transformation Bible puts it, the gospel isn't just an invitation, it's a summons to glory. And each of us must move from that general love that God has for the whole world that we see in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, to that personal, specific love that we see in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Mary's response is astonishment and delight, and it completely engulfs all of that anguish and despair that she's feeling at that moment. Snap decision, right? Snap thing that happens here. She's on her knees. She's crying. She's weeping. Where is my Lord? Where is his body? Hey, Mary. What? Astonishment and delight at the hear of her voice, of her name. And as she hears that voice, she gets up, and rightly so, she grabs hold of her Lord and Savior. Don't be quick to overpass this. Verse 17 says, I have not yet descended. We're not talking about where Jesus went after his death. In Luke 23, 43, Jesus says to the other thief that confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, says, he, he says to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. But he wasn't ascending to be with his father until Acts 1, which we'll get to. But that's why he says to her, do not cling to me. Literally stop clinging to me because he still has some work to do. And Mary isn't to hold on to him permanently because not only is there work to be done, but he will also be going to be with his father. There's this British show called Ghosts. There's an American version of it that's on TV right now. And something that's interesting about the show is that ghosts walk through things. And people walk through them. Right? The idea of ghosts is not new. Even back then, they had a, quite a strong under, or quite superstition. Let's call it of ghosts. But ghosts can't be clinged to. I think of even a show like uh, or a movie back. This is going to date me, but Casper, <laughs> and and one of the ghosts is eating, and what's happening is all the food's falling through. There's no substance. There's nothing to cling to. And when Mary gets up and she grabs hold of Jesus, John is showing us very clearly one thing. This is the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. He did rise again. He was dead, and now he lives. In Hebrews 9, verse 27, it says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, what happens to a person's soul after death is judgment in second corinthians 5 6 to 8 we see so we are always of good courage we know that while we are at home in our body we are away from the lord for we walk by faith not by sight yes we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the lord or philippians 1 i'm hard pressed between the two my desire is to depart and be with christ For that is far better. The judgment after death for for the one who trusts in Jesus is results in heaven. Jesus isn't a spirit in this moment, He is the resurrected body. In Matthew 25, 46, we see the opposite side, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I say these things for one purpose there is a such thing as spiritual warfare. But if we talk about ghosts in such a way as this human spirit, it goes against what God's Word says. Either you go to be with Christ, or you go to be in hell. And that depends upon your faith. But here, Jesus is in bodily resurrected. He is alive. He is there. And Jesus is clung to by Mary. Because he has actually been resurrected. And the only way of interpreting what the Bible says when it says this is a bodily resurrection. And then Jesus responds to Mary's words He says, Go to my brothers. But go to my brothers. You mean those guys that ran away? To my brothers. See, Jesus calls them brothers, and he's implying a close personal relationship with those who have believed in him. Think about what the disciples had done. They abandoned Jesus. Peter denied him three times. And Jesus doesn't hold any ill feelings towards them at all. In fact, he elevates their status. Remember in John 15... Jesus says, a greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now think about what Jesus says in verse 17. Jesus draws them even closer by calling them brothers. There is no animosity towards his disciples for how they acted. Not even Jesus. And are you his Are you resting in Him? Do you believe? Do you you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again? God's grace isn't limited by our sins. I couldn't imagine when we go back down into verse eighteen, when Mary Magdalene she goes and she talks about to the disciples, "I have seen the Lord," and that He had said these things to her. The feeling in their hearts when they hear that their Lord, who is not only alive. But it's now calling them brothers. I would feel that that's an overwhelming thing. Through Jesus, you can be called a brother. As he says to his disciples, this is a special, unique love for all who repent and believe. As he says, though, this is temporary. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The Bible talks about this in other places, that God is the Father of both Jesus and the believer. It is di- in different ways, but as Romans 8 says, for you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons, by whom we cry, Abba, father Hebrews 2:11 to 12 says for he who sanctifies us and those who are sanctified all have one source that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers through Jesus' resurrection for those who repent and believe no longer are we enemies of god not only are we friends of god but we're brothers and sisters In Christ, what the resurrection means for all of those who are in Christ is that for those who trust in Jesus, we share the same standing before God, the Father that Jesus himself has because his righteousness has been imputed upon us, has been given to us. What have you done to earn this? Isn't that the point of what I just said? The disciples were the ones that ran away. They were cowarding in their little houses. But every step, God has been in control. And the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses, that we were enemies of God, that we were rebels. Yet the resurrection allows us the same standing before God because of what He has done, not because of what we have done. And what is Mary's response to this? She goes and has a nice little contemplative walk. No, that's not what she does. She goes to these brothers of Jesus and says all that she has seen. I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to me. A great example of what Jesus will later say, go and make disciples. This isn't a story of tragedy. This whole narrative is a comedy. It is a story of hope. And I don't mean a comedy in terms of humor. The cross isn't humorous, but a comedy by definition is a story of happy endings. And this is the greatest story of greatest happening endings ever created. On its own, Good Friday can look like a tragedy, but with the resurrection, the narrative turns into a comedy. Why? Because the hope of the Easter story... The the hope of the Easter story is that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, those who turn from their sin and trust him are his brothers and stand before God the Father just as he does. It's through Jesus' death and resurrection that for those who are in Christ, we can also say, along with Romans 5, verse 10 to 11, for if The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The empty tomb isn't empty because of some grave robber but because God has been at work and he has risen. So what does this mean for you and I? It means we have great hope. Jesus' death and his resurrection brings great hope for all of those who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ. This is not the happiest of all endings. Before this happened, we were enemies. We were dead. The resurrection is often hotly argued. Why, you may ask? Because if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, it means his death meant nothing. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Paul so clearly lays that out for us. And then those following verses, in verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Which essentially means, if Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, we should close our Bibles and go home. But he did raise from, from the dead. The resurrection matters, I think, for maybe five reasons. Lots more if we want to have a think tank about this, but five. Jesus' resurrection matters because it means that his sacrificial death on the cross was sufficient. And therefore, our sins can be forgiven. The second one is that Jesus' resurrection matters because it fulfills prophecy. Jesus prophesied his resurrection, and so did the Old Testament. Third, Jesus' resurrection matters because our justification hinges on it. As Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered over to death for our sin and was raised to life for our justification. A dead Savior can't save anyone. But we have a living Savior who justifies us and makes intercession for us, as Hebrews 7, verse 25 says. Fourth, Jesus' resurrection matters because it's fundamental to our faith. Just like we said in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 14 of that chapter, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we may as well go home. And believers who have died are still lost. The fifth one is that Jesus' resurrection matters because it is the only thing that gives us hope in this life. Life is hard, but we have hope. Christ was the first to permanently rise from the dead clearing the way for a future resurrection for all who believe. And Jesus' claim that he has the power to grant eternal life is to be trusted because he himself conquered death. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again because the tomb is empty and he has risen? The Bible clearly talks about that Jesus rose from the dead in a bodily resurrection. He wasn't a ghost. He actually did raise from the dead. This is not the happiest of all endings. What should we do with this? What should we do as we leave this place today, on this Sunday, on this Easter Sunday, as we reflect upon what God has done for us through his son Jesus Christ, that he not only died for our sins, but he rose again? What do we do with this? We bask in the wonder that in Christ we are now brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing? I think this is important because so many of us who are in Christ struggle with where our identity is found. We think uh, our, our, we, we, we so easily lose our identity. It's so wrapped up in relationships or our work status or whatever. But here Jesus comes... And he calls us who have repented and believed brothers and sisters, fellow heirs with Christ. So we bask in the wonder of who he is. I think the other thing we see what Mary does is we go and tell other people about this hope. The tomb is empty. What do you do when you get good news? I don't know, I just keep it to myself and don't tell anyone, right? What do you do when you get engaged? Ladies, you always get your fingers done. You get those nails done so you can show off the ring, right? What do you do when you find out you're pregnant or when you get a new job or when you did really well on a test or exam or you finally achieved that goal? What do you do with it? You go away and you keep it to yourself, right? No, you go tell someone. Matthew 28, 6 and 7, he is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Take the news that Jesus has risen, that Jesus had died for our sins and rose again, and declared to a hopeless world that he has risen. And all God's people say, Amen. Easter is hopeful because Jesus' death and resurrection brings hope for those who turn from their sin and trust in him. They are brothers and sisters who get to stand before God the Father just as he does. And even though this may be a happy ending, it's not the true ending. You ever watch Marvel movies? And they got those like other movies after the credits? If you haven't seen those, I'm sorry, but there's other clips at the end of the movie that are usually integral to the next movie. There's more. Revelation, the book of Revelation is or after movie credits. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended to his Father. And he's coming back. Even in this, we continue to look forward with hope because Jesus was resurrected. His promise to his people has come true. And his promise of resurrecting his people will also be true. Jesus was dead. He was buried, but he rose again. The tomb is empty. And that is our amazing hope. Let us continue to reflect upon that together. Father, we thank you for the reminder today of the resurrection. We thank you for Resurrection Sunday, where we take time to reflect upon the hope that we have in Christ. So Lord, I pray that we would bask in the wonder of who you are and what you have done for us, that our identity is found in you and nothing else. But Lord, I pray that we would take this good news and that we would proclaim it from the mountaintops to everyone who will even hear if it be the other parents at the park or a neighbor or a co-worker or our our peer or students, or wherever you place us, Lord, I pray that you give us the boldness to go proclaim this truth. You have risen, and you have risen indeed. Amen.